This is part one of a two parts podcast. One! Okay, I, I think it's recording. Can you guys hear me? I hear you, Paul. <laughs> I, hear you, I got, Paul. I got uh, Jacques Spirko, and uh, I've got Josiah Wallingford on the phone. And uh, uh, these guys contacted me a few days ago, and they are they are so excited that they're going to wet themselves uh, about perma ethos. And and so they said we gotta we gotta get in we gotta start telling people about perma ethos. So the, basically, from what little I know, and I've I've gone and I've looked at Jack's site about this, and I guess it's actually Josiah's site, perhaps. But I've gone and I've looked at I think it's is it permaethos.com. Yeah, I'd say it's our site, but it's permaethos.com. So I've gone and I've looked at permaethos.com, and I tried to, to ramp up on it a little bit. I think I listened to like a half an hour of Jack talking about permaethos on a special little – it's not – I don't think it's in your regular podcast stream. I think it's just an audio thing of you talking about it. And uh, so if you heard a- that, forget what you heard, because that's probably before the government messed the first idea up, and we changed oh. it. I think I think I heard of version one, and I think yeah. you emailed me about version two. Correct. You had me go and look about version two, and I think I spent two hours trying to ramp up on version two. Okay. And then it seems like it was about two weeks ago that you were telling me about version three, and mostly what you were talking about is, I did this without Kickstarter. <laughs> neener, neener. <laughs> I, I think that was your message. Neener, neener. I know I didn't mean it that way. I was just uh, no, no. I just know you 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 kick ass with Kickstarter and and I, I just totally didn't want to. Funded without your nasty Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't think they needed eight percent of 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 our community's money. <laughs> so I. I I went, and I think on this, and this is what you've got now. Is you've got version three is fully going, a hundred percent. It's yeah. funded to the gills, and and uh, uh, this is what we're going to talk about today. And, and and from what little I understand, the idea is, is that you allowed about thirteen hundred people to give you uh, a few hundred bucks, and then uh, take that money to to get uh, the permit ethos project, permit ethos template started uh, at a farm, 110 acres in West Virginia. But the idea is, is that once you get it nice and polished, then, then it's going to be uh, something that's going to be able to rubber stamp onto a bunch of farms. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> go ahead. So <clears throat> the, the, the money that was brought in so far is, is going is, – is, one thing is you've got a videographer there. And right. and then the the function of the videographer is is that you kind of want to do exactly the same thing that Jeff Lawton is doing with his PDCs, only completely different. That's a good way to put it. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I think Jeff Lawton asks for one thousand Australian dollars to to be in his PDC, and and I think I think what you're trying to do is uh, do a PDC that's going to be um, uh, the the Jack and Joe show. Uh, so it's a little, it's it's going to be just like Jeff's, but it's going to smell a little different. It's and, going to be in the words of Thomas Chong. It's the same but different, man. Yeah, and so <laughs> um, uh, it's so the people, the first thousand people that jumped on board, it was three hundred bucks at pop. Correct. And so for my listeners that are also your listeners that found out about it right away, they got to get in on that. Um, and it's like, how how quickly did you sell out the thousand tickets? 
Two hours, 47 minutes. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> um, and, I, I mean, we did a really good job of building up to it, and I think a big part of it was the way that we marketed it. Um, we view those first 1,000 people as true partners in getting Permaethos off the ground and making it into what it can become. Um, the farm that we have, none of the money went to buy the farm because we took on two additional partners into the company, um, Kevin and Charlie, along with Nick Ferguson from Permaculture Classroom. Joe and myself make up the full ownership board. And Kevin and Charlie own the farm. So they're basically our partners. They have a stake in the company, and they're also our first clients. So it's their farm, and there's certain components on that farm of development that they fund, and there's certain things that we fund. And what we wanted to do is, I know you're very familiar with Joe Salatin's concept of fiefdoms and all, and but he also has the philosophy of, well, you go lease a piece of land, run hogs on it, make money, and move on with your life. Well, that's fine, but... The guy that's leasing land to run hogs and chickens and, and, and cattle is never going to plant trees. So we came up with this model where we actually partner with the landowner. We install a staff, and that staff is made up of a, a head farm steward. And on this first farm, that's Joe, a couple tenant farmers. And with this farm, there's so much work to be done. And Joe's so basically one man and a uh, one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest at this point that we're actually going to add a third one here and that's part of what we wanted to be on about today we install that crew we we we, we fund salaries for some and then part of it the landowner funds as a feedback to us and we establish design develop and build that farm we run educational programs to help offset things. Generally the way we make a decision about do we pay for it or does the client pay for it is is it something that's Basically, just straight up profit generation, for instance, seed or something like that. Or is it something that's portable? Then Permaethos would fund that. If it's something that's building a building that's going to stay put on that farm, even if they decide they want to terminate the relationship, well, then the landowner pays for it. But we'll oversee it. We'll help design it. We'll help develop it. We, we set up housing. We bring in Wampfers, which is sort of like a woofer, but different. We'll tell you about that in a second. And we actually develop and build that farm. And we bring in expertise uh, from ourselves and from our partners. We also have an advisory board made up of folks like um, Jeff Lawton's on our advisory board, Ben Falk's on our advisory board, Darby Simpson's on our advisory board, to sanity check our design decisions. And our, our, our goal is to build this farm into a working, functional, profitable farm, develop a template from that, and then say to people, okay, Get in line, bring us your farm, because we can only do so many at a time. And as we develop this, it's, it's kind of like an ongoing system. So you've got Joe installed as the head farm steward. We've got two tenant farmers working under him. They're designed to come up and take his job, and either Joe goes off and runs another farm, or Joe kicks them out and they go run another farm. So we install them as a new farm steward and bring in new tenant farmers. And we want that system to continuously bifurcate, so that we're putting more and more farms in every year. And the, the crazy thing is we just got started with this one, Paul, and, you know, we're not scraping looking for new farms. We have people lining up already, and we're like, give us some time. We've got to make this one work. And uh, Joe can tell you more about what's actually going on at the farm, but we took on a hell of a challenge with this place. Uh, our, our view is that when we're done with this, if you want to see anything else that looks like it, you're going to Austria. Okay, all right. Uh, Austria, I think we're talking about Sepp Holzer's place. 
Yeah, with the elevation changes. And I don't know what we'll do as much okay. school culture as that, but the elevation changes, the water flows, what has to be done to make this property work is the same type of challenges Seb had for just from elevation changes. It's not as alpine, but the same type of change, you know, the same type of slope. Right, 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 right. You've got a video somewhere. You, show, you sent me a link to a video, and I watched a video that kind of gave an idea, and I thought, you know, it looked a bit like my land, except that the conifer trees are replaced with deciduous trees. Correct, correct. Okay, We've got right, a you. great ecosystem to start with, and like I said, Joe can tell you more about what's going on there, because I'm in Texas. It's like 100 degrees, and my ducks are looking at me right now, cussing me out, saying, we used to live in Michigan, asshole. Why did you bring us here? Okay, i got two quick things. Uh, one one is that you mentioned Seth Holter's place, which reminds me that right now um, we've got uh, Zach Weiss is just start, is selling tickets to go on a trip this August to Seth's place for Americans. And so then they'll have all the translators. And they've got all the buses and stuff lined up. So you get over there and they uh, got all the – so you buy a ticket and they take care of all the lodging and the transportation and all the education. And I think it's like a 10-day trip through Austria to see Seth's uh, the Kraberhof, and then also Sepp's new place, which I think he's calling Holzerhof, and um, some other similar sites. <clears throat> so just thought I'd mention that because it seems like you, it was, I, I just remembered it, and it should go into a podcast. Okay. Right. I saw that. That next, looked awesome. Yeah. It, uh, I've seen some – I mean, the, the pictures that you get back are stunning, and um, there's – some very cool things uh, going on there, um, so it's 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 definitely worth looking into. And I understand that uh, uh, when you're there, as opposed to Seth coming here, Seth seems about like 20 years younger. So uh. Um, uh, maybe it's because of his water of life that he drinks out there, or whatever. But one of the things you just said was, this is my second item, make to make this work. What does what does make this? So what, when at what point? What is the definition? What is the metric? For now, now it's working. What's that metric? Uh, I'll let Joe expand on how, but what I would say the very nuts and bolts definition of that is when the farm is self-sufficient monetarily and we're not throwing funding in constantly and the client's not continuously funding expansion and it's actually running and working and producing a profit – then it's successful. It's not done, and it will probably never be done, but that is that is our definition of success. Having a bunch of people living there, hanging out, having a good time, and being able to pay the bills is not sustainable if the farm itself is not a revenue generator. So we know we can generate revenue from education. That's We've, we've proven that. We've probably done more with educational revenue than most farms of that size would do in two years. Um, we know we can do more with that, but but that's one element of permaethos is the educational component. And we can't obviously run that level of educational revenue on every farm we do. So our definition of success is the farm itself being operational, functional to the point of producing sufficient revenue to pay the wages of anybody that works there and still produce a profit for the owner. Okay. All right. So, so profit based, and um, which is which is great, and it's like this is that's the exact same thing we're going through over here. Is like you've got to go through this startup phase. It's tough <laughs> to kind of prime the pump. You got to <clears throat> you you got to uh, um, provide the food and and pay people and and stuff like that to kind of get to a certain point, um, and uh, uh, where where things are moving forward on their own. Um, and build infrastructure. Uh, you know, you. I know that one of the things we're going to be talking about here in a moment is fencing, 
And um, for me, it's it's like earthworks. Put down the the the, the initial earthworks, and I, and I think you guys are going to talk about that a little bit too. But I kind of feel like for me that one of the things I would want to emphasize is is that the food grown there is like ninety percent of the food that the people that are living there eat, and then there's more food after that. And then on top of that, you know, everybody's got an income stream and is comfortable. And that's what we call success, and we're not there. I mean, like I said, Joe can tell you more about where we're at, but we're not there yet. Okay. Yeah. I I figure for us it's three years. Joe? Our phase one uh, goal for this year is to feed everybody on site. That's our our primary goal. Um, And while we're also working on that, we're working on the infrastructure and getting the earthworks in place that need to be in place before, for example, the fencing. We have to we have to put in the ponds before the fencing. Um, otherwise, we're digging up our fencing. So, and, and on that, there. Paul, we have a lot less body count, I think, than you do. I think you have like 18 people living in one house or something like that. We might <laughs> be up that high at times, but um, when you look at permanent residents, it's a much smaller head count that we're trying to feed. Um, Joe just invested in some equipment. We have two dairy cows now, so we invested in some equipment to do cheese, butter, and, and, and things like that. So that, I mean, right now, with, the reason Joe said we needed to buy that stuff was, he's like, if we don't, we can't drink all the milk, we're feeding it to hogs. So right. I, I think, Joe, I, I think you'd agree. Like that's, that's a big boost right there in being able to convert some of the milk into, you know, other products. Oh, big time! But the but the body count is also key. I mean, it takes a it takes a lot of manpower to uh, to get a farm up and running uh, smoothly. And so, right now we're at 15 people, um, and and we'll go up to 20 at a time. But as far as people living there permanently full time, we have six six people full time living there. I'm sorry, okay. seven seven full time. Yeah, right. you count, Joe. Don't let anybody tell you you don't count. <laughs> <laughs> so now there's a there's a house on the property already. Yeah, yeah. We the uh, the original uh, owners uh, of the property have a beautiful house. Um, we're using the basement of that house right now as the uh, the bunkhouse for the woofers, um, and we also have this old chicken coop, which sounds horrible, but. It's not. It's a beautiful, a beautiful chicken coop that was made of these this old wood, uh, old old oak wood that when the original homestead was put in, and we've uh, cleaned that out completely and put in power, and um, it's it's now acting as a uh, woofer uh, holding area, a <laughs> bunkhouse as well as the basement, um, and and those are in place right now until we can get the, the primary bunkhouse built. Um, which is another project that's what being worked on. Now, Josiah, uh, a couple of years ago, I made a podcast with you, and part of it was is that you had this vehicle that had a house on it. So it was kind of like it was kind of like the idea of a tiny house. Not it was not designed to be a land whale. It was designed to be a tiny house, and it just happened to be on a trailer which had a motor and a steering wheel. Um, yeah, that was the Bluebird bus. It was actually a house built on a Bluebird bus. Beautiful. It's 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 beautiful. <laughs> and and is that getting moved to West Virginia? No, no, that'll probably stay. It's in Washington, and like you said, it's not really meant to be that mobile. 
and taking it across the country is, you know, I just don't have the three months it would take to get here. <laughs> <laughs> you need permits and a guy walking with a lantern in front of you screaming, bus coming through, bus coming through. It's... <laughs> They could lose a few shingles off the roof on the way. Now, now Joe does want to build a Wafati to house himself out there, but we have pushed that back in the schedule of events to meet other needs for people for expediency purposes. But Joe's goal in life seems to be to live in the side of a hill like a hobbit. <laughs> yeah, one, that's that's exactly what I want to do. I mean, the just the inspiration from the Hobbit, uh, J.R. Tolkien's Hobbit. I mean, I want to live in one of those homes. Isn't it uh, amazing that your inspiration for this has come from two things, the shortest creature we can think of and the tallest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, I, gotta, I have to emphasize, a Wafati is an above-ground structure. It just right, has a very right, thick right. earthen roof. Our Wafati workshop is going on right now, and, um, and one of the things that's been laid out is is that um, uh, speaking of tiny houses, my brother Tim has said that if the logs are cut and peeled and ready to go, he believes he could build a wafati, a 100 square foot wafati, in two days. So, um, oh yeah, and, and so it's like a, it is a very simple pole structure. Pole structures are cheaper and faster. And uh, I think the roof design on this makes it so that the roof becomes superior and faster. And we've been talking, I've been talking to an architect, and he and I have been going back and forth, and we think that we could even get it so that this one that he builds in two days, is it's possible that the total cost outlay for materials is under $200. So, <clears throat> uh, and then this is also along the lines of, like, you know, speaking of quick, cheap housing, my, my brother and a couple of other people that were here for a workshop last year, they built a, uh, uh, what we called it a porta cabin, which has now been dubbed the Love Shack. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was built in one day. So at nine o'clock in the morning, there was a log on the ground. Wow. And then, um, at, uh, um, uh, by evening, uh, it was, it was a little cabin and somebody slept in it that night. I believe it's possible because this is the, again, the same but different. We seem to keep coming back on that, but I just put in an eight by eight. Um, kind of like a tough shed style thing to house my duck flock. And um, so they were supposed to show up on a Friday, and I'm like, I'm taking my wife out to dinner Friday night, so I want you to get here and build my thing so I can leave, and I want it for the weekend done. And it's like 3 o'clock, and the dude's not here yet. So the dude shows up, and it is, it is prefab, everything's pre-cut, but he's like, yeah, I'll be done in two hours. He was by himself. <laughs> he did it. Two hours by himself. He did an eight by eight shed with shingles and windows and floor decking and the whole thing. So I think that like when you came up with the concept of the Wafati Paul, it was like you can be whatever you want. But I think guys like your brother, once they've built a couple, if they get into the concept of it's gonna basically be like this if you want package A and like this if you want package B, I, I believe you that it can be done relatively quickly. So and then of course, you know the the thing that Josiah is probably looking forward to while everybody else is out getting their wood in for the year to stay warm, then with the wafati you you don't need to heat it. It'll it'll be warm all winter long without any heat. So. Um, <laughs> but but Joe has a woman and women's versions of warm and and men's versions of warm are different. <laughs> so she might need a candle to heat her room. <laughs> 
Okay. Okay. You got me there. Uh, uh, Tim's wife uh, believes that uh, uh, in the wintertime, it's warm when it's 90. So, all right. Uh, Yeah, I I have a hard time visiting them in the wintertime because it's so hot in their house. Um, All right. Let's let's uh, let's bebop along because the key is perma ethos is the template. This is the the rubber stamp that can go on to lots and lots of farms. Um, I believe you said hundreds or even thousands of farms someday. And I mean, I'm dreaming dreaming big when I say that, but I I believe we can do that. Now let's talk about the rubber stamp. It's not so much a rubber stamp. It's if you're going to be a permaethos farm, there's going to be certain things that have to happen, and the first few at least will be ones that we have personally oversaw the design, development, and implementation of. And we are looking at ways to do remote, what we call element partners for some other things that are specific to one product line or something like that. But it won't be like you just say your farm's permaethos. It doesn't work that way. However... We have made a commitment to the market that everything that we do will be open source. So if we come up with a plant variety, if it's patented, it'll be patented under open source so that anybody can do it. And the only reason that it would have any type of trademark or patent protection would be to prevent somebody else like the evil people at Monsanto from claiming ownership of it. So everything we do from design of infrastructure to buildings to plant varieties to systems to methodologies, all of it is made available to anybody. That doesn't mean, you know, I mean, Linux is open source, but if you want someone to explain to you exactly how to build your network on it, well, you have to pay for that. So we may have some video products and things like that that are for sale, But anything that we create and publish or release is absolutely free for anybody to take and use. And I I am tired of seeing things like life forms patented. And instead of bitching about it, I figure I'll go create some of we'll create some of our own and not patent them. That that's that's our solution to the problem there. So just so people don't misunderstand, it's not like. We'll just say, okay, your farm is a permanent ethos farm rubber stamp. It is more along the lines of you come to us, you want to partner with us, we turn your farm into a full permaculture operation, and you're then marketing your product under the perma ethos umbrella as, as a brand. Yeah, and then for the, uh, for the for the the open source side, on uh, at least from my angle, it's it's out of my pure hatred for government. <laughs> I I'm with you, dude. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I, I, I'll tell you, Paul. I used to have this one tiny little piece of me that still had some faith and belief in government. It was this tiny piece. It was like they suck for all this stuff, but there's this one piece where they're still useful. And Joe, as my intern over seven months, killed that part of me. It is dead. Uh, the only thing I'm okay with them doing now is taking care of the roads. That's it. And I'm even skeptical there. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, now, the, the reason why I was bringing up the whole concept of the rubber stamp um, is the idea of saying I wanted to, to differentiate between permaethos, <clears throat> the template, and uh, Elijah's Spring, which is this current land. This is the, the pilot project piece of land that's going to be the place that gets the first stamp. So you're going to come along, you're going to permaethosify this piece of land, and then once it's all 
going and good and it's working, then you're going to go and say, let's do that again on the next piece. And it sounds like you've got like at least a dozen farms lined up to receive the rubber stamp after this one. Well, the big deal is is getting this farm profitable and showing that we can do that to other farms. So, for example, the the monocrop farms in uh, Kansas Kansas area um, that that would be a great farm to go to and say, look what we can do to your farm. Give us give us you have two thousand acres here. Just give us a couple hundred and we'll reproduce it here. And you'll want to do it on the, your entire property. Okay. And we, what we love about Elijah Spring is that it is a difficult property, and I, I, that is mainly due to the elevation changes there. And our hope is that because we have more funding on this property than we likely will have for future properties, we can make it into a showcase along the lines of, well, if you can do that there, if you give me a couple hundred acres of rolling hills instead of giant hills, uh, relatively uh, flat land, and somewhat of non-totally denuded from runoff soils, imagine what we could do there. Right. Um, and I, I think that it, it could. The only my, my only concern is it could backfire because I don't know if you've noticed this, Paul, but everybody that gets into permaculture immediately says, but my land is different. Because they see Seth Holtz and they go, well, my land is flat. And and you know what you and I are thinking, Paul? Well, good, then it's going to be cheap to do, right? Or it's only for the tropics. And I've actually had people tell me it's only for cold climate. So my only concern with this showcase is that people say, well, you could do that on steep land. Because it's it's actually very, very challenging in a lot of ways to work on steep land. As you know. As you know very well. I've been to your place. It's... It's also steep. <laughs> it's got some steepy bits, um, even some cliffy bits. Um, but I, I, I do think, though, that the one thing where you said that, uh, like you said something about flat is easy or something like that, I think flat would be the one place where I personally would not really want to do permaculture. I think it would be harder to do permaculture on something flat. I mean, you, you can't control the uh, where the cold air flows. How do you... I mean, it's like you're in one great big frost pocket. You can't get away from it. Remember this guy that used to own the country, or own run the country, named uh, Clinton, and he said it depends on what your definition of is is. I think it depends on what your definition of flat is. If okay. you're talking, you know, the the the, the uh, what do they call it? The where they run the cars, the salt flats, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty flat. But I mean, what we're talking is like not straight up in the air. So. A rolling hill, and most most farm property is that way unless you're in river bottoms. There's not a lot of like you know rolling pin style flat. That I I actually think that that's easier than a lot of people think. And unless you're dealing with really northern climates, when you talk about frost pockets, it's still pretty easy. But maybe it's a little bit boring. Um, some elevation changes are great because you do have the ability to deal with the flow of temperature and also to move water for free is a very nice thing to be able to do. But land like you have, land like Elijah Spring, is is difficult uh, when you're at that level just to get equipment in there. Uh, when you contract something, instead of doing it yourself, contractors always want a little bit more because of the environment. It's a little bit more problem with access 
when you're running workshops and you have 50 people that want to come, it's a little bit harder to give them all a place to park. Um, so there, there's challenges there that don't exist when you're in relatively flat land. And you can think about like the workshop we all went to together. You, you, Paul, myself, and, and Joe were all there. The SEP one in Montana. Right. That was steep and flat, right? There was, there was, it was both. And, yeah, and, yeah. And we don't have both. We have one, just the steep part. <laughs> <laughs> and when people come out to pitch a well, tent, where do you pitch a tent when it's steep? <laughs> we're trying to make some legends and stuff like that. And, and Joe just oversaw a major installation. We put in, what, about a, a one acre of, of parking and camping area? Yeah, yeah. Parking, camping, RV, and recreation. Yeah. We've been doing that too. We've we've put in a flat spot for parking, and and then uh, in the last couple of weeks we've been putting in some spots. We put down tents up in the up up by the volcano. So yeah. Well, all right. So to me, to me, it's it. I don't care what the land looks like. I want to put implement permaculture into it. So yeah. I, and I think we can do that. I, think, I agree. I just think we can be, like, for people out there that have land or are going to buy land, um, what Jeff Lawton would say would be water access structure. And if you're not quite vertical, right, it's a little bit easier to deal with those three elements. Right, right. You might you might do access if we do water in that case. Because um, the roads, I mean, having a good road and land like that makes makes such an enormous difference. If you have no road whatsoever, everything becomes extremely difficult. And the first thing you want to do is the road. Um, well, and then people say, well, you put your roads on contour. Well, that's fine. But sooner or later... I've got to put a piece in to connect one contour to the other, and there's there's a lot of engineering in that elevation change on that road, and a lot of maintenance to maintain a road like that. And if you the more movement you can get across a contour with roads, great. But sooner or later you got to go up if you want to get up. Well, then you're, you're taking up so much acreage by doing a, a one or two percent sloped uh, road. You got to you got to really understand and utilize all the acreage you're going to be using for that road. So if you can multi-purpose it, um, that would be the best way to go. Okay. But it's, it takes up a lot of land. So just real quick, Elijah's Spring, this piece of property is in West Virginia, and it's 110 acres. Um, <clears throat> we've covered the steep part. The fact that it's uh, got the word spring in the name suggests that there could possibly be water running on the land. There is, There are a lot of springs on the land. There is one spring, which is called Elijah's Spring, and, uh, and that goes into the story of Elijah. So uh, when this, this homestead at Elijah's Spring was first, was first put in, um, the, the homesteaders built this nine by 15 little house out of the wood on the land. And while they were living in that house while they were building the primary house. And they had a, a son who made it eight days, and I believe he died of the rickets. Um, but he, his name was Elijah, and his gravestone is at the very top of the property. Um, we, just re, we just redid the gravestone, uh, a plaque. We did a really nice plaque for it. But at any rate, um, so that's that's why it's Elijah's Spring, and it's a particular spring on the property that they drank water from um, while they were homesteading. Uh, actually, throughout their entire time homesteading it. So that was their 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 lifeline was that spring, and uh, their son Elijah uh, died at eight years old. Eight, I'm sorry, eight days old. Eight days old. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, they, so they named the spring after him. And uh, when Kevin and Charlie took ownership of the farm, they decided to retain that name because changing that kind of would be, I dare I say, evil uh, with that being the story behind it. Yeah, and one of the uh, one of the family members from from there came and visited the farm just to just to see it, and um, and that that really cemented in that we need to keep this we need to keep this going in the family, at least at least the name for them. Okay, so <clears throat> now uh, the thing that you guys are are wanting to talk about today is the project. The, the project at the moment, which is which is going to be the foundation for Permaethos, and as part of the project, you guys are looking for more people out there. Is that accurate? If I did, I yeah. remember correctly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, we're looking it, for. My my favorite part of that is that when you go to look for good people, you come to the Paul Wheaton show. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe can tell you the opportunities that are available, but I mean, we have one position in particular uh, that that is a paid position. It's paid plus housing, and it is designed for you to eventually go run another farm for us. Uh, and and um, well, I'll let Joe. You you can explain the opportunities. Sure. So we have a couple of opportunities. One is a tenant farmer. Uh, we have one available position for that. We currently have two tenants. Um, and the other opportunities are the whoopers. That's uh, worldwide opportunities for permaculture farms. And the element partners. So the key one that we are um, – uh, one of the key positions is that, that tenant farmer. So the tenant farmer will come here to Elijah Spring and learn how to become a farm steward which is what I'm currently doing at the farm. You will learn to run the farm, um, run the business aspect of, of that farm as well. And you'll learn that for one or two years, depending on how quickly you're able to pick it up. And then you will be taking over one of our next farms. And then you will also get tenants under you to train them to open up other farms. So right now is the key time um, for, to, to come into this position because we're in infrastructure mode. We're, we're starting up this farm. And one of the big learning curves that a lot of people, especially workers, miss out on is that, that, that time frame when you're, when you're building the farm and the infrastructure and, and the swales and the getting everything in order. Um, it's also one of the hardest times. So there is a lot of work, but it's, the learning uh, involved in that is is huge, especially if you want to eventually start your own farm to to learn all of these things before you go out and, and uh, make mistakes, uh, or at least you won't be making as many mistakes. <laughs> and and I think it you. puts people in a lot more of a realistic mode because if you go to an established farm, especially somebody that's really bang on doing it right, like Joel Salatin, well, you think, okay, when I start a farm, it's going to be like this. No, when you start a farm, it's going to be a big empty field full of tangles and gnarls or a big mountain full of trees or whatever, but it ain't going to be a farm unless you buy an operating farm. And even if you do that, if you buy a farm today, you're probably going to buy either a conventional farm or a slightly less icky farm we call organic. Um, but you're probably not going to go out and buy a permaculture farm. There's not a lot of them for sale, and I, I know once somebody builds one, they're not real hip on selling them. 
So if you want to learn the establishment phase, you need to go somewhere where that's happening. And I know that we're learning it's dramatically more difficult than you think it is in your head. And I'm sure you've learned that too, Paul. But it also, as you're doing it, you start realizing, well, it does work. And it does lead exactly where you think it leads. But if somebody actually wants to build that in their future, it would do them well to come to a place like what we're doing or what you're doing and learn about the trials of getting there. So what, yeah, and what's on this farm right now? So, like, before you guys far, got there... Infrastructure? What's that? Okay, so before we got there, there was a house, a garage with a empty uh, area above it uh, for, for potential, you know, whatever, uh, a barn, an old barn, a chicken coop, and a outhouse. And the outhouse is the old style, which just had a pipe that ran off the cliff into the creek. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and there was also one pond, and that pond was fed by Elijah Spring. So okay. that's that. Um, there's also oil wells on the property. Um, there's, there's, it's ironic. Riddle with oil wells. Yep. And uh, and so they had. Uh, they called them roads, um, but they, so I guess you could call them roads. Uh, they had roads to those oil wells, and that's what was on the property. Um, it was. Stripped bare, 20 acres of it was, uh, stripped pretty, fairly bare, and they were using that for hay when they were uh, feeding their livestock with that, and there was 15 cows on it. Um, not the owner's cows, they were just the neighbor's cows that they let uh, graze on the property. Okay. And that was it. So this was not a, this was a farm in spirit, but not in function. So we've started with a, Semi-blank slate, I guess. It's like the Etch-A-Sketch that you shook seven times and you needed to shake it nine times to make it blank. Okay. So there's kind of, there, there wasn't a whole lot going on. It's mostly a little bit of farm-like stuff, but uh, kind of for the decoration of it. Correct. And it was, I mean, it was a farm at one time. I'm, I'm still not clear as to when exactly it was operational. Uh, when I walked the property, I would say that if, if you asked me to place a age on most of the hardwoods, about 30 years of age, I would say most of the hardwood regrowth is about 30 years. Some of it's much older, but the majority is 25 to 30 year old regrowth. And we're trying to only remove of that, that which is necessary to accomplish what we want to. And because, like, there is this bare spot of 18 acres where it was just stripped. And that's where the, most of the time the cattle were grazing from the neighbor. And so we're, we're focusing our initial efforts there. And then we're actually putting the fencing in through another 40 acres, 39, 40 acres, uh, across top ridge lines and things like that that are less subject to erosion because our hope is not just to do cattle, but to, you know, do pigs that are being finished on oaks and things like that. And a lot of that, that's what's there. You know, a 30-year-old oak tree, you could build a building, but you can't build a 30-year-old oak tree. Or a 30-year-old hickory. Or there's some, there's even some old apples and pawpaws and things like that throughout the property. Okay. So now on the, on the, the thing about the tenant farmer. So uh, you're also looking for woofers that are like woofers. Um, uh, but for the, for the tenant farmer, that would be a paid position. And, um, what, you know, clearly a, a whooper is somebody who's going to show up, uh, and probably not have much in the way of skills. But your tenant farmer, do you have some expectations of skills? 
Yeah, and and we get we get apps for it, and we we get to pick and choose, so that's kind of nice. But we we do expect that you at least have a permaculture design certification. Um, so, and then of course from there we build on you know who's got the most skills and who seems best fit for and the mental the mentality of it uh, who's best fit for the position. You know what I mean? What we're looking for right now, for instance. So one of our tenants is a guy who's just retired from the Marine Corps. Uh, over 20 years, as, and he retired as a master gunnery sergeant. So we've got somebody that's got structural, right? And then Joe, of course, as the overall uh, chief of operations there, has a lot of structural experience from his military background and a ton of experience in permaculture. And then we brought in our second tenant farmer is someone that was more of a livestock guy. So we're at a point now where we we need more help and more dedicated 100% on the job there every day help and so that kind of puts us in a position where we might see somebody that you know if we were looking for the very first one maybe that person wouldn't have been right but now that we have kind of the structure to drop them into that 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 person might be right. At this point, we're looking for somebody with a good grasp of permaculture, a good understanding of ethics, the drive and desire to go forward. Uh, someone that I know that when I look at them, I can say, I can trust this person. That's that's probably the biggest thing for me personally. Solid work ethic. And what we really want is someone that says, I either want to run this farm and, and, and have Joe go pick another place to live in the world and run another farm, or I want to go to another place in the world and run a farm. We're looking not for somebody that just wants to kind of drop in and have a job. We're looking for somebody that wants to end up at a point where they're running and operating a farm and deriving the bulk of their income from that farm's revenue. So, I mean, we're talking about a position that's not hugely paid initially, but has the potential to become a very lucrative position as a farm manager. Okay. <clears throat> um, and then uh, uh, on Whoopers, you know, we've we've got something similar here, where where it's like we didn't, I didn't want to get too married to the term woofer, so we've come up with our own thing called gappers, which is. Uh, Based on GAP, where GAP is goofy about permaculture, okay. probably probably a little different. There's not a worldwide aspect to it. It's just here. <laughs> and uh, uh, but but one of the things that we've done, one of the things that when when going down the road of woofer like road, is it seems like you have these long conversations with uh, with everybody who wants to come out, and then only about one in five actually show up. So yeah. what what we've done is we've said. Give us a hundred bucks, and and so then these people give us hundred bucks, and if they never show up, that's fine. <laughs> no with, with woofers, with, with woofers or wafers as, as we call them, we do have an application, and we want to make sure you're not some psychopath, you know, that like you know, murdered twenty seven people or something like that. But pretty much our thing is show up, and we're not going to spend that much time screening that person because if they show up and they suck, we're just going to send them home. And so, uh, I don't think we've had much trouble with the work ethic because we're drawing. I mean, if 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 you're a freeloader, you're probably going to hate me and Joe already. So you're not going to come. I mean, just just with the vibe we put out there, right? If you're like, I want to show up, man, and do yoga and and, and like eat organic food and do no work, you're you're not coming anyway. I promise you that after one conversation, you'll be like, no, those dudes expect work. But at the other side of it, Joe actually 
put a cap on the work because the guys were working too much. You know, so they were <laughs> yeah, like, oh, toys working too much, and then they were getting grumbly about it. So he's like, you got to stop at a certain point. Yeah, we, we've been working our guys a little too hard too. But but now on the form that you have on the on the application that you just mentioned, and and you got some concerns about psychopaths. So it's one of the questions: Are you a psychopath? <laughs> you know, yeah. they have like yes no, or no. Put in yes or no. And then you said the no, you're looking for is, people uh, who haven't killed okay? 27 people. So it's like you have a question on there: How many people have you killed? <laughs> no, Joe. Joe has a very good psychopath detector, so he makes the. If, if it doesn't matter what I say, um, if Joe doesn't think you're good to come to the farm, you're not coming. Joe is the final gateway for anybody that ends up on that farm. Okay. All right. <clears throat> well, I I think that our hundred dollars thing has been working out really well. Um, I like it. We might steal it. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll I actually charge a hundred and one, so we can be one better than you. I, okay, all right. Well, but we'll actually, donate the one dollar to the Paul Wheaton Fund. <laughs> that's, we'll that's we'll save up all the one dollars. My idea. Actually, I stole we'll the idea. All up and- I I stole the idea from the Bullock Brothers. So um, the guy that managed that, uh, what they, what he would do is that he worked all uh, warm season at the Bullock Brothers, and then one year. He spent a winter with me uh, um, in my house uh, in the Seattle area. This is like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And uh, uh, so I, I heard about this system, and he talked about it. And so basically, I don't think, it, you know, maybe, I, can't, I don't think it was the application. For me, it's a, for what we do here, it's a, it's a bit of an application. But for there, I think you had to pay $300. If you say you're going to show up, it's like they don't believe it until you send $300. Okay. Kind of a thing. <laughs> so I kind of kind of stole from that a little bit. But the problem we were having is is that people wanted to ask, you know, legitimate questions like, "Can I bring my cat?" And um, and before before you can really understand my question, I have to tell you the story of my cat. And <laughs> and it's like it goes. It turns out to be this long. You end up putting in hours visiting with somebody before they actually come out. Then it's kind of like, okay, are you going to pick them up at the airport? And then when you go to pick them up at the airport, once you get there, do they then call you to say, my flight's been canceled and I'm going to be coming five hours later, oh. you know, and and those kinds of things. And it's kind of like, okay, if if it's 100 bucks, if they've paid in 100 bucks, we kind of don't care if, if, you know, for all that. It's like not that big of a deal. But if you haven't paid 100 bucks, it's like then the only thing we want to talk to you about is, Where's the hundred bucks? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I, actually, I don't think that's a terrible idea. Honestly, I mean, Joe and his crew are doing a great job of providing a wonderful environment, and I, I don't know, maybe people actually would value something a bit more if they had to pay for it. Um, you know, our view is you're, you, we have people that come there, and the people who've come there so far have worked really, really hard. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, we're spitballing here, and we have a whole board of ownership that all decisions have to be made by unanimous consent. But you know, I'm kind of thinking like we would charge you a hundred bucks, and if we think you did a really good job when you're done, we'll give it back to you. You know, and if you don't show up, we keep it. Or if you suck, we keep it. And uh, if you get your hundred bucks back, it's stapled to a letter of recommendation to the next location. If you get it back, and don't ask for a letter if you didn't get your money back. Maybe I don't know. But I, I said I'm just I'm thinking out loud here. But I like what you're doing, Paul, because that does say. You know, you're serious about it. You you can barely stay in a flea bag motel for a night for a hundred bucks. <laughs> I mean, I, I I I don't stay in flea bag motels, but 
the last place I stayed was like what, like a Holiday Inn Express. I think it was one thirty nine for one night. So, so a hundred bucks to come stay for a few weeks at like a full on permaculture farm. I don't think that's excessive at all. Yeah, what we've been doing is we've been saying if you're going to come by for an hour, or if you're going to come by for for the rest of your life, or if you're going to never show up, uh, it's all the same. A hundred bucks. I, I, I see. I mean, this kind of comes from my background in the corporate world, where we had uh, contract workers, which were temporary, and we had permanent employees. And it's kind of like, you know, it never really mattered if if you're a contract worker and you show up and you do a good job and you earn your keep. They keep you around for for years. But yep. if you're a, if you're a permanent employee and you show up and you're lame, you're out the door in just a couple of days. Unless so there's a union. It's well, <laughs> there there is that. Uh, but in the world of professionals, which is what I was working in, then yeah. <clears throat> you know that that was what my experience was, and um, so I kind of feel the same way because we do. We have people who, who pay up the hundred bucks. And then their life changes and shifts after we've talked to them and put all this time into them. And it's like, no big deal. No problem. Don't worry about it. We, we got the hundred bucks. <laughs> it's all good. So, uh, it's, it's, it's fine. This has been, now we don't, because last year we had a lot of people that were like, we, we tried to say something like, okay, if you've listened to all the podcasts, come out for, for three or more days. And then we had people where by all it was like 20. And by three days, what they really meant was two days. And by two days, what they mean is a day. And by a day, what they mean is not quite a day. Can and, I flip this around and ask you a question then? We okay. kind of look for people to spend like at least a week or two. How do you get much work out of a person that's there for a day? That was the problem. I see. Okay. It's like, okay, Paul, I know you're supposed to be a busy guy and everything, but uh, I'm here now. You gotta stop everything, and I don't want the tour from that guy over there. I, I want see. The tour from you, show me. And so then, you know, I, it, it, then we would try and set him up with a simple task like peeling logs, and it's like, uh, and I gotta tell you, I don't know if you guys have ever peeled a log before, but about 20 minutes into it, it's like, you know what? I think I've now learned everything I ever need to know for the rest of my life. <laughs> And I got to tell you that this, uh, this so far doesn't have a lot of sex appeal. I think I'm ready to be done now after 20 minutes. I so, um, but what you know, what we had was we had some people that would come by, and um, you know, on the other hand, we also had some people that came by for one day, and they totally kicked ass. It's like really? it was amazing. You know, they just tucked right into work, and they're like, "Give me more." And they're and they're like having a great time. They, I mean, there's people who show up and it's like they want to experience what we're doing, and and they just jump right in and they have a great time. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And um, they'll do anything and and they're just I don't know. It's like, you know, I could go to the gym or I could peel some fucking logs. Uh, is I don't know. They really grooved on. It. And there's other people that were like. I wanted to kind of see all the food you're growing and I'm going to judge it. So that way I can write about it on my blog, which only mm. three people see. And yeah. so, you know, and it's like, uh, yeah, well then leave. Okay. Um, <laughs> you haven't had any problems with anybody up there that way, Joe. No, not at all. No, we've okay. all our guys have been really hard workers. We've gotten the weekend warriors. Uh, those, but they've all worked really hard, um, so that's been great. 
uh, we, we've had overall a great experience with with our roofers at least so far. So for anybody that's listened to like ninety percent or more of my podcasts, one hundred percent success. Mm. Um, anybody that's a Mormon, one hundred percent success. <laughs> I, you know, I no, I believe that. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah. So now um, uh, we've, we've had we've had some people out here that have listened to five podcasts, ten podcasts that have been great, and we've but but we've also had quite a few that have like been not great. Last year we were trying to prepare for our our workshops, and we hired people um, off of yeah. Craigslist, and we will never do that again. Oh no, that no, no. was a yeah, I was with festival. you until you said the word Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, jeez. No. No, I mean with our workshops we've done at my at my property, my personal property here in Texas, we we've always hired staff and we pay people, but we've hired them out of the survival podcast community. So I've said, you know, we need some people. Contact me if you'd like to come out here and work. And we're very clear about what being a staff member, and we would do the same thing with Permethos. Uh, a staff member at a workshop does not mean you get to come to the workshop for free for doing dishes. It means if you happen to learn something from the workshop, excellent. If you get to hang out with people, excellent. But you're reporting to, in this case, you know, my wife or when Joe was here, Joe, and you're doing work. And when work is done, then you can do your own thing. And here's your money for that. But we do not do the whole, you can come for free, you know, and, 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 and basically take the trash out and do the dishes and, and be part of the workshop. We hire dedicated staff because that's what it takes to to handle a group of 20, 30, 40 people that have paid good money to come learn and expect to be fed and, and have the logistics handled and things like that. And yeah, Craigslist, I, no, no, no. Yeah. And then no again. We've done some work trade here that worked out really, really well, but it turns out that I think the reason why it worked well is because I'm such a dick. Um, I see. And, well, I, I think, you know, there's some people are like, oh, work trade, and they're thinking exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, I'm going to pay you, I want to pay for this workshop with weak-ass promises of stuff that I'll do someday, which I will never do. No. And and it's like, so here's what I've done is I said, okay, if you come and you work here on the farm for this many weeks, then you can take this workshop that's this many weeks. Oh, I see. I see. That's good. <clears throat> No, see, our our staff has always been they're here for the workshop, not they're here before the workshop. That might work for Joe up there. That might we we would see, but we've always looked at it personally here as I need somebody to do this job. This job pays a hundred dollars a day. Here's your hundred dollars. Do your job or you're fired. And we've been really clear about that. So it's like, well, someone's supposed to present right now, and I want to go see it. Well, you're not here as a student. Right, yeah. and we because we've been that way up front, we've never actually had to have that conversation, right? Yeah. We've just, I mean, the people we've had have been unreal, exceptional. We have one couple, Michael and Teresa. They've worked the last three for us, and they're local, and and they're right out of the you know the TSP community, and they're just phenomenal. They just take care of yeah, so great. much. They're great. We have another gal named Sandy. She's she's worked for us on staff for two. She comes in from California. We pay her a rate, but we do not pay her plane ticket or anything like that. It's because she wants to be here for it. So she does want to be here for the event, but she understands, like, okay, here's your wage. Do your job. And that's worked out best for us. Is like I just think if, if I want you to do something, Paul, 
and it's a job. It's a true function that has a time that you start, a time you stop, and certain tasks that need to be done. If I value you, the greatest way for me to show you that is say, this is how much this value is. Here it is. That's your money. Now do your work. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to say that, that for the work trade scenarios, we've, we've had 100% luck so far. Where, where people show up on time, they do awesome work, and you know, then they go to the workshop. Trade is complete. Everybody's happy. Um, but in your, in your example, Paul, you're not hiring them to work the workshop. You're having them do other work in lieu of payment for the workshop. Yeah. And, and what, what I'm talking about is staff for the workshop to cater to the students who yeah. paid to come to the workshop. That's a little different. I like yeah. that idea, though. Like I said, that if you have a farm like Joe's got that he's managing, that might work. I've got three acres here in Texas. I don't really, you know, I mean, right. come here and work for two days. I might have something or I might not. Like, if you go see Joe, I guarantee you he's got something for you to do every minute of the day if that's what you want. Yeah, yeah. So... It's it's a it's a wonky space, and um, we've we've had um, um, last year we had some drama. Um, uh, this year there's been some, but it's been like I don't know ten thousand times smaller than last year. So uh, it's it's uh, everything's been so much smoother this year. But that's that's us. Yeah. That's us. We're talking about you guys. This podcast is continued in part two.